Welcome to First and 30. I'm Nick. And I'm Antonino. We're two 30-something-year-old guys who take the best ultimate reality television show in this hemisphere, American football, through four uncensored downs of mostly unbiased opinion and some analysis. In a game broken down into 10-yard segments, we take it with you one step at a time. That's First and 30. Let's Let's go go for it. it. Welcome and Happy New Year. This is episode 8 of First and 30, the end of week 17 in the 2023, now 2024 NFL season. Antonino, how's it going in the flip side of the new year for you, sir? It feels wonderful. Every NFL team is officially undefeated in the new year and it couldn't feel better. Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting stat. I I didn't even think of that. So it's a fresh start for some of these teams perhaps with the playoffs looming right around the corner. But before we hop into our four downs, I, I want to know Anthony, you know, what's your new year's resolution, man? What what are you coming into the new year hoping to change or making a goal for yourself? Oh man, probably continuing to spread positivity, but one of my biggest pet peeves here is I've been really a bad night owl. I've been a really bad night owl. So maybe just setting that morning alarm and hitting snooze five times instead of 10, uh, just the progress there and being a a morning person, a a morning bird like yourself. I I like that. Maybe we start recording the first and 30 podcast episodes Tuesday morning, maybe at 6 a.m. once you get your 5 a.m. alarm going off. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool, man. I, I like that resolution. I have not put a lot of thought into it, quite frankly. I think one one big resolution or goal that I would have with my wife, we're, we're trying to, we've been saving up for a house. So I think we're going to go full on house shopping mode here at the beginning of the year once we get some travel out of the way. So a goal of mine is to really delve into this home buying experience and hopefully find a place that we want to settle down, maybe start a family in the next couple of years. I love that. Watch out uh, for those interest rates. But besides that, I I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, with that aside, with the new year and New Year's Eve, there were a lot of football games that had huge implications and one no bigger that I can think of to start off first down. High hopes. High hopes. High hopes. None other than the Ravens, man. The Ravens dismantling the Miami Dolphins at home, 56 to 19. This game had really big playoff implications for both teams. The Ravens winning secures them the number one spot in the AFC, a first round by home field advantage, all of the, the top accolades that you could be looking for as the top dog heading into the playoffs. What was your impression? What did you see when you were watching this beat down by Baltimore? Our Baltimore Ravens, I guess I'm going to claim them as our local team now, our Baltimore Ravens uh, made scoring 56 points look easy. Um, not only that, I, I think their backup quarterback also got into the mix and got a touchdown. Yeah. So everyone's getting a piece. All right. Everyone's eating. And that this all comes in a four game win streak where they beat tough teams. You got the, the Rams, 49ers, Dolphins, and I believe it was Jacksonville. So being able to beat four straight 
um, solid teams and then come out here at home and really neutered the Miami Dolphins. And uh, I think your 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 MVP favorite uh, might it be Lamar Jackson? It it might be. I, it's hard not to root for Lamar now as the MVP favorite heading into this game. He was minus one sixty favorite to win MVP. Heading out of this game, he's now a whopping negative 10,000 minus 10,000 to win MVP. So Vegas obviously thinks that he's the guy that's going to get the award. But the backpedal real quick, Antonino, because this was a huge game for the Ravens that they really wanted to have to secure those bragging rights as the top team. They started off scoring four touchdowns on their first five possessions. So they ended up finishing this game with eight red zone trips. You know, some teams like, the Jets, uh, you know, <laughs> they they probably haven't even seen eight red zone trips in the past five games. So for Baltimore to just be able to do this against a really good team uh, really spoke volumes to me. They also had three total takeaways, two of those turning into scores. They do lead the league as well right now in terms of turnover differential at positive 12. So they're doing it in all facets. But I do want to go to your question there about Lamar Jackson. And kind of put it towards you as well. What are your thoughts? You've had some pretty strong opinions over recent weeks about the Ravens, in particular, Lamar Jackson being a running back, not a quarterback. So you've had a lot of critical takes. I I am curious, have you come along by claiming the Ravens as our team now as a local fan base and, you know, Lamar Jackson as an MVP favorite? Clearly, I'm learning that our show has some reach because our past couple episodes have reached the Baltimore Ravens front office and they've heard my takes on Lamar Jackson where the past two games he has had half as many carries rushing attempts they've cut that in half and that was my main concern being injuries plaguing him throughout the years towards the latter half of the season he would be out so my concern was injuries him rushing the ball is not sustainable and clearly they heard our show, they adjusted, and now look, that now they're really getting it going through the air, and it's really special to see, and I never thought I'd find myself saying that. So you hear it, Ravens fans. Antonino is taking some credit here for the Ravens' success, specifically with Munkin's play calling and not having Lamar run it quite as much. Uh, kind of a hard take there, though, Antonino, but yes, Lamar... I think right now, uh, to answer your initial question, is the MVP favorite. I don't really see anybody else that you could say contends with that. He is, and and here's the case. There's a few few reasons why he will win the MVP. It's kind of definitive in my book at this point. So he's the quarterback, not the running back, but he is the quarterback on the best team in the NFL right now. No arguments there. The Ravens have the best record. They're 13 and three. They have beaten some of the upper echelons of the league in the past couple weeks, you know, the Dolphins, the 49ers, both teams were top teams in their conferences and they dismantled them. It wasn't even close. And not only that, Lamar is third in total passing and rushing yards combined for quarterbacks. So he has a total of 4,499 yards combined. 3,678 of those are passing, 821 rushing so who knows, maybe he has a, if they play him next week, which I don't think they will, he was on pace to getting 1,000 yards again. 29 total touchdowns, 24 passing, 5 rushing, and a QB rating of 102.7 and a QBR of 65.3, both ranked 4th and 5th among quarterbacks. So 
the the guy is doing it in many facets, and it's hard to argue. Typically, this award is going to be recognized for a guy that's a quarterback for the top team in the league. Uh, I like how you mentioned for a quarterback. Can we just turn this award into a quarterback award? What's the point of saying most valuable player anymore when the last time they gave uh, most valuable player trophy to a non-quarterback was 2006, LaDainian Tomlinson. Where Mm. were you in 2006? Let's, uh, what, high school? You know, you're you're older than me, Anthony, you know. I think I was still in grade school back then, having my mom pack my lunch for me. You're right. It, it has turned into a quarterback-only award. The, the league has really emphasized and pushed towards the QBs even more so now than ever. It, there's some guys in the mix that you could say could be in the argument for that. A few weeks ago, I was making the claim Tyreek Hill should have been an MVP candidate. He's kind of tapered off here because of the all the 2,000-yard talk has been dismissed since he missed a game or two and hasn't been fully healthy. Christian McCaffrey has been tossed around and there is an MVP favorite. But quite frankly, when you look at McCaffrey's numbers this season and compare them back to, what, 2019 when he was with the Panthers, statistically, he's not having a better year than he did then. And he was not in the running for MVP, mostly because he was on a poor team then. Now he's on a good team. But it would be... Very hard to to argue uh, against a quarterback at this point, in my well, opinion. I think there's been a little bit too much praise on this segment for the Ratbirds. Let's 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 reel it in a little bit, okay? In the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Yep. I'm a cyclical, and mm-hmm. what history shows me is that the Baltimore Ravens have done this before, right? Don't get me wrong; they've had good finishes specifically 2019 season they finished the season on a 12 game win streak they finished the year 14 and 2 they had a bye week they played at home to the tennessee titans and we all know how that went there was a high dosage of derrick henry and he shoved that ball down their throat and we can even go back a little further 2018 they finished 10 and 6 they lost at home again at home to the chargers so at some point there has to be a debate whether or not having that home field advantage and having that one week off and being rusty is something that they should take into account or that M&T bank home field advantage where you have that crowd noise. Which one's which here? Do you want to go with the home field actually being an advantage or when you see in the past where it really didn't matter? Well, you just made a point. It's the past and this is a different team. Although there are some eerie similarities with, the records being the way they are, Baltimore was 14 and two that year that they lost in the divisional round of the Titans or 13 and three right now. They were the top team in the league back then. They're the top team in the league now. Lamar was an MVP candidate then. He's an MVP candidate now. So a lot of similarities, but I think the big difference is going to be the defense with this team. They are opportunistic. They're forcing turnovers. They are one of the top two, top three units in the league at this moment. So when you have a good defense playing in cold conditions in Baltimore with the best running team in the league, Baltimore's built for the playoffs in January. I think they're going to go for a run here. But how about this, Antonino? We spent a lot of time talking about the Ravens this week and last week. Let's move on to second down. They are who we thought they were. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. And in this week, I want to call out those Philadelphia Eagles, 
giving up 35 points to a three-win Cardinals team, losing this game, thus jeopardizing their chances at winning back-to-back NFC East title games. My take here is the Eagles defense is who we thought they were, a bad pass defense unit. What are your thoughts there, Antonino? Clearly this weekend in Philadelphia, there was no fly Eagles fly. It was all cry Eagles cry. So silly me, I went ahead and started the Philadelphia Eagles defense in my fantasy team. They started off, they got that pick six. I had all good vibes there coming from the Eagles defense. Uh, And then they proceeded to let me down. Uh, That defense, the secondary specifically, has used eight defensive backs aged 24 or younger this year. That's the third most in franchise history, second most in the NFL this year, only to the Bears. So that secondary is very uh, ripe, you should say, very young. Six of those young defensive backs are undrafted, Mm. undrafted. Um, So with James Bradbury underperforming, Terrell Edmonds got traded. They have a lot of guys having to step up in place, and maybe we're just now seeing Fia's chink in the armor. You were bringing out some points with that secondary. Let me let me add insult to injury here with some more stats. So right now, Antonino, the Eagles' pass defense is ranked 28th in the NFL in terms of total yards allowed and yards per game. So they've given up 3,990 yards, which comes out to about 249 yards per game. The only teams that they are ahead of in this statistical category are Tampa Bay, the Washington Commanders, the Chargers, and your Bengals. So not the company you want to keep, no offense. But not only that, they are ranked 29th in the league in points scored against per game. So they've given up 401 points, which comes out to about 25.1 points per game. Again, the company that they're with, the only teams that they're ahead of are Washington, Arizona and Carolina, all teams that are going to be picking within the top five, except for Carolina. They're giving that pick up to the Bears. So this is a poor formula, especially when you're heading into the playoffs. So I'm not surprised by the way that they have performed over the past few weeks against subpar talent in in these teams that they've lost against. Now, I think it's very unfortunate. We know the Eagles have a great team. We know that they're going to go to the playoffs, so they'll probably make some noise. But like you mentioned, playing down to their competition has seemed to be a problem as of late. Uh, they were up in Seattle. Uh, they had the lead, seemingly game in hand, and they lost that one on the last drive to Drew Locke, if you yeah. remember that. Yeah. Uh, and then the next game, they were up on the Giants, and then they put Tyrod Taylor in at halftime. And then they came back and mm-hmm. had a throw in the end zone at the end to possibly tie it or take the lead. And then this week, up 21-6 to the Cardinals, a three-win team. I just I just feel like, do they get bored? Are they not going for the kill here? Like, these Eagles need to go in for the kill and not get bored and stop playing with their food, I should say, and just get the job done here. And they have a chance to do that this week. They play the New York Giants, again, a team they should beat. They just saw them a couple of weeks ago. They're very familiar with each other. And uh, I think the Giants more or less will be playing uh, younger players, just getting them some on-field experience with nothing to play for except for a draft position. Uh, So this is a chance for Eagles to really jump out on the Giants, get their confidence back, and who knows, they still have a shot 
to win the division, but I believe they'll need help. Yes. So there were some implications here, Antonino. This loss did hurt the Eagles quite a bit. They were coming into this game controlling their own destiny. Uh, all they needed to do was take care of business against a very poor Cardinals team as well as the Giants team. But because they lose this game and because the Dallas Cowboys won their game against Detroit, that leapfrogs Dallas ahead of the Eagles in a tiebreaker scenario. So if the Cowboys win next week against the Washington Commanders, the Eagles would have to settle for the fifth seed in the NFC. Dallas would then win the division, leapfrog them, as well as securing a number two seed, which heading into this weekend did not seem like a feasible pathway for the Cowboys, but things played out the way they did, and the Eagles took a huge L. But third and long, Antonino, what were you thinking? In light of that Cowboy game, there was a lot of controversy there near the end. So I want to call out Dan Campbell. What were you thinking? Going for a two-point conversion there to win the game, not once, not twice, but three times after penalties. You would have thought that after the first failed conversion attempt with a penalty called backing you up, you would have probably pumped the brakes and gone for the tie. But no, uh, Dan Campbell remained uber-aggressive decided to go for it. What is your take, Anthony? You know, are you in agreement? Like what, what's Dan Campbell thinking here? Dan Campbell, he likes to stroke his ego. And that ego is one of which we're Detroit. We're tough as nails. We're going to run it down your throat and we're not going to let anything stop us. And, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. And I think that's what we saw happen. Uh, although I'd like to take a moment and I believe we should sound the alarms Because the Detroit Lions were robbed on national television. Hmm. Whatever could you be alluding to? There was a situation with some very large men. We're talking 350-pound men, three of them. They go up to the ref to check in for one of Dan Campbell's special trick plays. And then from there, the ref, very confused fellow, doesn't have the correct lineman check in before the play and they wipe off the entire winning play the nfl referee at it again yep we know your take on the refs and the nfl hashtag really yeah they they messed this one up it was certainly not a penalty we we saw in the replay there was a video replay decker uh the Left tackle, Taylor Decker for the Lions, went and checked in with the ref. Did you think that after that penalty flag happened on that two-point conversion, what would you have done, Antonino? Because that backed Detroit up to the seven-yard line. Would you have still gone for it? I mean, Dan Campbell did, and they got lucky because Parsons was offsides and, you know, golf through a pick, but... Would you have gone for that again? <laughs> I think 99% of the population would have kicked the extra point at that, that point in the game being at the seven-yard line. But I can also understand the other side of it. You just had a great drive. You just went all the way down the field. You're playing on the road. And sometimes you just want to get it over with. You don't want to, as I said about the Eagles, play with your food. Let's get the job done. We know we got the playmakers. Let's make it happen. Dan Campbell spoke with the ref prior to the game and let them know of the trick play. 
So they mm-hmm. were aware, and it's all deception. All of this is planned. They practice this play throughout the week. They know who's going to check in, yeah. and they had well, Lyman walk towards the ref as a deception tactic. Yes, they announce it, but they don't. They might not exactly know which lineman. It might not be as clear. And they had Penay Sewell walk up alongside uh, mm-hmm. the intended lineman that was supposed to uh, be checked in, and there was some confusion there. But the referees are being reprimanded, and. Uh, Dan Campbell did let the refs know. So I feel bad for Dan Campbell to get the brunt of this, uh, but they'll be back. You're right. And they, I, I think even earlier in the game, Dan Skipper had checked in a, a few times. So the refs kind of went on autopilot, it seemed like there, and didn't even bother to kind of pick through and figure out what Detroit was doing. So the refs will not be, uh, be, officiating some of these games in the playoffs. It sounds like, like you alluded to, but Hey, Antonino, you know what time it is? You know what down it is? Rhetorical question because you already know. It's fourth and forever. It's time for us to throw up a Hail Mary. Dropping back in the pocket. Looking, there's the Hail Mary. Headed for the end zone. And it is. And in this week, we want to pay homage and, and take a look at Mike Tomlin and Mason Rudolph leading Pittsburgh to their second straight win. But for Tomlin, a more important milestone, he eclipses a 9-7 and record, which means, yet again, another winning season. That is 17 straight winning seasons now for Mike Tomlin as the Steelers head coach. What was your impression of their win against Seattle, 30-23? to It was a must-win game. Rudolph had a great game. Tell, tell me what you think with Tomlin and Rudolph and the Steelers here. Yeah, it was all fun and games. You know, the game before they played Cincinnati, uh, right before that game, they announced they were starting a quarterback with the last name Rudolph. So, haha, funny joke. Start Rudolph before Christmas. Then they beat the Cincinnati Bengals and they come here. So, okay, you went at home. That's one thing. But going to Seattle, playing in the elements on the road with the crowd noise against a team that's also in a must win situation in the Seahawks and being able to maintain his cool composure he only got sacked one time went in there made plays and led the team better than Trubisky better than Pickett and they came out with the win and they had crunch down crunch time plays uh down the stretch so very impressive and I think uh they're sticking with them I believe is that correct they are yeah they've already announced that Mason Rudolph will be the starter in their crucial week 18 matchup against those Baltimore Ravens that we already alluded to. Fortunately for the Steelers, I don't think the Ravens will be playing many of their starters since they have nothing else to play for here in Week 18. However, for Pittsburgh, everything's on the line. They do need to win this game upcoming next week against the Ravens in order to clinch a playoff berth. In addition to getting a little bit of help, they'll need Miami to beat the Buffalo Bills or the Titans to beat the Jaguars or, you know, a tie in those circumstances. Uh, As long as they get the win, too, they can clinch a playoff spot. But the thing that impressed me the most, too, with Mason Rudolph, besides his efficiency, you know, going 18 to 24, 274, no turnovers. You alluded to the only one sack. He had a huge fourth down conversion in that game, too, against Seattle late in the fourth quarter on a QB sneak. But the Steelers have done something with Mason Rudolph that they had not done yet before this season with those guys you mentioned, Kenny Pickett, uh, Trubisky. Do you know what it might have been? What what was kind of the outlier here for the Steelers? 
wonder if you picked it up at all with your research. Oh man, I have a few things to few things I could point out here, but the diva receivers have not been as flamboyant throughout the week uh, complaining, so maybe mm-hmm. that could be one. Yeah, well that's definitely it. I mean, George Pickens had a back-to-back great games. He won over 100 yards yet again. But the thing that stood out to me that no other Steelers quarterback has been able to accomplish for Pittsburgh and if you're a Pittsburgh fan, let me hear if you think you know what the answer is because I'm sure you've been paying attention to this narrative. The Steelers scored 30 points for the second time this season. Both times have been with Mason Rudolph. So they had not done that yet before. Their offense was atrocious. They could barely pick up 14 points, it seemed like, week over week. So don't know what it is, but Mason Rudolph has that moxie and that poise that seems to be pushing these Steelers at just the right time too in these two critical wins that they've had and a huge matchup coming up against Baltimore too but before we round things out Antonino anything else to add maybe with Tomlin or uh, anything else that you saw with Mason Rudolph here yeah well specifically I want to commend the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary uh, having done some research on their secondary they're dealing with tons of injuries they've had players step up similar to the Eagles a lot of young players stepping in and filling in the role pretty commendably. Um, but like you said, Mason Rudolph on the road, he's not a rookie like a lot of these other quarterbacks we're seeing thrown into the mix this year. So he has started games before. He has experience under his belt. And, and lastly, I've spoken to a lot of Steeler fans. I have a lot of Steeler fans in my circle for, for better or worse. But they've all had the same uh narrative i guess you could say that they've been kind of stuck in an nfl purgatory because they haven't really had an nf uh, super bowl caliber team but they've kind of been teetering with the playoffs and they always get a middle to late round draft pick um so yeah it's nice that tomlin has 17 straight years of a winning season that's great but at the same time i think people are getting frustrated that they're just kind of teetering there in the middle to late uh draft pick and they're, they're never getting that top that top pick uh, to get them over the edge so I think this might be them paying the piper for all those years of success and Super Bowls and winning with Ben Roethlisberger and company. So um, I have no problems with that. That's a good point. It's hard to reset talent and get, you know, younger, more talented players into your system. If you're not picking near the top of the draft and they have kind of been muddling around in that mediocre range where they're not, not quite good enough to be a contender, but not bad enough to to be the bottom stock of the NFL. And Tomlin's been kind of keeping them there now for the past 15 years. What, they haven't been to a Super Bowl since uh, 11, I believe, or 10, 2010. So we're coming up on a like 13-year streak without without a Super Bowl victory, which, like, yeah, for Steelers fans, that's, that's a long time. <laughs> it's like music to my ears. Oh, but for Bengals fans, that's that's yeah. what you want to be seeing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The AFC North DNA. It's it's tough out here, I tell you. Yeah. Well, hey, Antonino, you want to kick us off with a, a positive impact, positive note as it relates to these Steelers and Mike Tomlin, and then I can give you my take before we wrap this all up in a bow. Absolutely. So like we said, with the Pittsburgh Steelers and specifically Mike Tomlin, even uh, Coach Cower, they've spent the last 17, 20, 25 years building that culture in Pittsburgh. And when I say culture... I mean, they have their eyes on the prize. They never get down throughout the roller coaster of an NFL season. Yeah, they had their ebbs and flows. They start fast. They dealt with turmoil. 
but they always remain focused on their vision and now they're playing for a playoff spot. So just like us in this new year, it's important to know that things aren't always gonna be great. There's gonna be some turmoil and downfalls, but if you maintain that winning culture, your morals and good habits, just keep the positivity and know that the storm will end and better times will soon come if you don't waver. Yeah, love it. And I think for me, kind of going along those lines, Mike Tomlin, 17 seasons with the Steelers, he's exhibited his level of consistency and discipline only few have accomplished in any field uh, and been able to withstood the test of time. So I'm kind of reminded about how challenging it really is to build something sustainable and successful for a long period because there's always going to be the storms that you have to weather, whether that be in this circumstance, the media or fan scrutiny. It can kind of extend outside of that too. So there's a lot of sacrifice that does go into achieving that level of consistency and stability. And we overlook it sometimes and we start to establish these expectations. So I'm just impressed by by that mindset, that, that mantra, and hopefully we can instill that into our resolutions here this year as we start to kind of build up whatever it is that we're, we're trying to build for ourselves. Habits, projects, creative pathways, you name it, businesses. It's just going to take brick by brick, basically, those small little steps in order to build that sustainable house that you're trying to build. But I think that does it, man. So thank you for joining us for another episode of First and 30. Until next week, remember, when your number is called, no matter the odds, just, just go, go for it. it.